We are at a point where a significant percentage of children are experiencing mental distress. The state of youth mental health is at a crisis level. So beyond traditional research and therapy, what else are doctors doing to confront the problem? We know that many of our mental illnesses have a hereditary component. Emerging genetic research is broadening our understanding of children's mental health. Learn about this discovery and other groundbreaking pediatric research on the new season of Breakthrough, a podcast from Boston Children's. From The New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. Today, President Trump is threatening to undermine the Affordable Care Act, President Obama's signature legislation. But what if the real threat to Obamacare was put there by Obama himself and could bring the whole thing down? It's Thursday, August 3rd. Carl Hulse, let me see if I have this right. After months and months, actually years, of Republicans trying to destroy the Affordable Care Act, rip it apart, they're now trying to improve it. There are a number of issues with the American health care system, Mr. President. But if your house is on fire, you want to put out the fire. Well, I think what they're trying to do, at least some of them are trying to do, is to stabilize it. And there's a group of senators led by Lamar Alexander, Republican of Tennessee, chairman of the Health Committee, and Patty Murray, who's the top Democrat there. Thank you very much, Chairman Alexander. I think it's really clear that the path to improving health care, lowering premiums, and increasing access and quality has to be through working across the aisle. They say, let's sit down and try and figure out a way to stabilize these markets, not have Obamacare implode over the next few months. And they've set hearings for September. We'll hold hearings beginning the week of September 4th on the actions Congress should take to stabilize and strengthen the individual health insurance market. And when we talk about stabilizing the Affordable Care Act, what exactly does that mean? And what are these senators trying to do? You hear a lot, and I'm sorry to say this phrase, CSR, cost-sharing reduction payments, but that's the last time I'll say that, okay? (laughs) These are some payments that the federal government makes to insurers to offset the costs of qualified low-income people. And it's really more than half of the people who are in Obamacare exchanges, about 7 million people. And Carl, why are we hearing so much about these subsidies right now? Well, because as the, you know, fight intensified in Congress and ultimately failed. You know, I said from the beginning, Let Obamacare implode and then do it. I turned out to be right. Let Obamacare implode. President Trump is is wielding them as a bit of a cudgel saying, if you don't do what I want, I'm going to cut off these payments Hmm. immediately. It's a threat. He's been, the government's been paying these uh, sort of on a month to month basis. But the president has said and sort of tweeted over the weekend. He writes this, if uh, a new health care bill is not approved quickly, bailouts for insurance companies and bailouts for members of Congress will end soon. So can you so they're at risk right now. So help me understand how it is that President Trump has the power to say that he's just not going to make these payments, to, to wield this cudgel as you describe it, over the entire Affordable Care Act. Well, it's a really interesting story, Michael. Where Congress isn't acting, I'll act on my own. So this really started back in uh, the early days of Obamacare when 
House Republicans started looking for ways to get back at President Obama mm-hmm. and undermine the program. Uh, first, this administration uh, makes the wrong decisions, then it won't give the American people the straight answers. Instead, it's arrogance and incompetence right down the line. I think Americans deserve better, and the House will continue to listen to the American people and make their priorities our priorities. There were some really smart Republican staff members uh, down in the basement of one of those (laughs) big office buildings, I think the Rayburn office building, and they were pouring through monthly reports on Obamacare spending, and they found one, literally, they did have an aha moment. They found a line item of spending that they couldn't see the proper congressional appropriation for. That's Congress's job. And that was the money for these cost-sharing subsidies. Got it. They looked at that and said, hey, the administration does not have the power to spend that money. They didn't get it from us. House Resolution 676, resolution providing for authority to initiate litigation for actions by the president or other executive branch officials inconsistent with their duties under the Constitution of the United States. The Republican-led House made time today to address something else entirely, approving a resolution authorizing House Speaker John Boehner to sue the president over Obamacare. In a statement, the House Speaker John Boehner says, quote, time after time, the president has chosen to ignore the will of the American people and rewrite federal law on his own without a vote of Congress. And when uh, there's conflicts like this between uh, the legislative branch and the administrative branch, uh, it's, in my view, our responsibility to stand up for this institution in which we serve. The House has an obligation to stand up for the Constitution, and that's exactly why we're pursuing this course of action. And what ends up happening with this lawsuit? Well, it started out with the administration thinking this was really not going to be a big problem for them. (laughs) They're not doing anything, and then they're mad that I'm doing something. I'm not sure which of the things I've done they find most offensive, but they've decided they're going to sue me for doing my job. These kind of lawsuits typically get thrown out. I, you know, I mean, I might have, I might have said in, in the heat of the moment during one of these debates, uh, I want to raise the minimum wage, so sue me when I do. But I, I, didn't, I, didn't think they were, I didn't think they were going to take it literally. The courts have found that Congress really doesn't have standing to sue the, the executive branch, hmm. that this is a political dispute and needs to be worked out politically. So they have a big hearing uh, in the federal court here, and the House Republicans argue, hey, we do have standing here because this is our most important power, is the power of the purse. This is what we're about. It's in the Constitution. This administration has effectively rewritten the law without following the constitutional process. And if they are going to just ignore our appropriation power, we should be able to challenge them. By circumventing Congress, the president's actions have marginalized the role that the American people play in creating the laws that govern them. And a federal judge, I was at the hearing actually, Hmm. and this federal judge, you know, the lawyer for the administration started to argue and she cut him off in about two minutes and pretty much just eviscerated him. Really? And you could see sitting in the hearing that day that this was not going to go very well for the administration. There was some evidence that the administration had at first sought appropriation for this money, realized they might not get it, and then they withdrew it. So there were some indications 
clearly the the administration fingerprints at the crime scene. Yeah, that this was not really uh, done right, and part of that was because of the position they were in with the Congress at that time. Typically speaking. If you were in this situation, you would go back to Congress and say, hey, you know what? We messed up in the drafting of this bill. We need to fix this appropriation. But they couldn't do that. So House Republicans filed this lawsuit. What was the outcome? A federal judge sided with them after some arguments that, yes, indeed, this money was being spent without the right authorization. So, Carl, this would seem to throw the entirety almost of the Affordable Care Act into doubt just as a working program. So how does this play out after the judge makes this ruling and then pauses? Well, so what happened was the judge made the ruling and the administration appealed. So the idea would be that at the time that the Clinton administration, honestly, would come in and would fight this out with the House Republicans. However, Donald Trump was elected president. He's actually on the same side as the House Republicans. Right. There is nobody in court fighting this out now. So they need to figure out how to move forward. But instead of cutting off the money, they've basically been just pushing the case, you know, just saying, OK, we'll deal with this in a few months. We'll deal with this in a few months as they try to repeal the law. Right. They were putting this off until the Congress and the administration decided what to do about the law. They haven't been able to do that either. And one of the main reasons that the market's been so destabilized because the insurance companies are like, are we going to get our money or are we not going to get our money? So it's been a big problem. So the result of this court case is that it put these subsidies and the money behind them in the hands of a White House that is incredibly hostile to the Affordable Care Act in such a way that at any moment they can turn it off. You have gotten it, Michael. That okay. is exactly correct. So that brings us to today where President Trump is actually threatening to do just that, to turn off these payments based on this court case that you just described to us that would end these subsidies. But how would that actually work for the Trump administration to just turn off the faucet and stop making these payments? I mean, they would just stop paying the insurance companies and the insurance companies could then face the choice of getting out of the market, canceling their insurance plans. I think they have to give notice, maybe 90 mm-hmm. days, or raising their own premiums to cover the cost. The insurance companies, as we know, are not in business to lose money. So how much help do you get from the federal government in the form of these subsidies? We get about $7 million every month for mm-hmm. the subsidies that are currently under question. This meaningful money? Yes. Well, very much. It's a, a big part of our revenue, uh, probably a bigger part of our revenue than actually safe because as a small nonprofit, we've grown very fast. Ken Yonda is CEO of Community Health Choice, an insurance provider in Houston. But what's good about that is that we've covered a lot of people and all that money really goes out to well, you know, doctors and hospitals and, and, and pharmacies and stuff to pay them. Got it. We, as a nonprofit, um, we try really hard not to have very high administrative expenses. We hold them down as, as much as we can. There, you know, there are no, no corporate jets. There are no big bonuses for the CEO in our company. Right. And tell me about that. So this is, this is a nonprofit. It does not exist to make money. It seems to exist just to provide health care. That's correct. It was started by the public hospital system uh, here in Houston to basically help low-income folks. But uh, a low-income person who has a job, but Mm -hmm. they work 
part-time, they work minimum wage, they work for a small employer uh, that doesn't provide employer-sponsored health insurance, we are very much uh, what we consider to be a safety net health plan. So how many people signed up for insurance through your company because of the Affordable Care Act? Uh, this year, for 2017, we signed up about 150,000 people. Wow. For 125,000 of those folks, they're actually getting federal subsidies under the Affordable Care Act. And when we talk about these subsidies, what would it mean for your company to lose that money if the president followed through with his threats? Well, short term, it would be very devastating for us. Uh, if we stopped getting that money, we would still be required to provide the benefit hmm. to the members and therefore to the doctors. Right. You just lose the money. <laughs> it's, it's us that will lose. But you know, this is not a bailout. <laughs> when I hear that this is a bailout for the insurance companies, it really annoys me because we're just a pass-through of a benefit that Congress felt that low-income people should get in order to make access to care more affordable. When we think about companies being very anxious about the state of the Affordable Care Act, companies like yours, does, does a lot of that anxiety go back to the fact that because of the uncertainty surrounding these subsidies, they could just end at any moment? Yes, that is of, of my list of what keeps me awake at night. This is the number one thing that keeps me awake at night, stopping paying a $7 million a month, mm -hmm. catastrophic for us. Are you already having to raise your rates as you plan ahead and worry that the subsidies might end because of the threats of the president? Part of our rate increase that we've filed for 2018 already uh, has a uncertainty factor in it for whether or not these subsidies will continue. And so how big a rate increase do you all plan for 2018? Well, we're looking at a rate increase that's probably going to be around 20%. That's meaningful? Yes. And, Ken, what have you been hearing from the federal government about the future of these subsidies? Well, what we heard uh, when we talked to them earlier in the summer was they were waiting to see if there was a bill that came out of Congress to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act and whether or not that said something about continuing these subsidies. Now that there is no bill, we are a little bit nervous. We're encouraged by the fact that Senator uh, Lamar Alexander has said that he wants to uh, introduce a more bipartisan bill that would continue these subsidies going forward. Certainly Congress could fix this because hmm. if Congress would simply make an appropriation, then this whole uncertainty goes away. It sounds like that is very much what you would like to see Congress do, just appropriate the money and end all this ambiguity. Yes. And that's what the new legislative push is in the Senate, the bipartisan legislation. Part of that would be, okay, let's actually officially appropriate these dollars. Got it. The fix would take this out of the hands of the, the Trump administration. The Congress, as part of any bipartisan or smaller fix, would formally appropriate the money for these subsidies for a certain number of years. And therefore, in some ways, help fix and save the Affordable Care Act. Correct. Carl, so we've reached a point where Republicans, because they control both the House and the Senate, are potentially 
going to be the ones propping up this law by guaranteeing this appropriation for the subsidies. But of course, these are the same Republicans who have been fighting the Affordable Care Act for so long. Are they comfortable being in this position of being the ones who potentially would would save it? No. (laughs) I think there's a lot of Republicans who wouldn't be comfortable at all with this. But there are some Republicans and certainly enough Democrats who would say, okay, let's go ahead and approve this money. For a lot of other Republicans, they would not want to go along with this. And already the conservative groups are out there saying, the last thing we want to do is prop it up. But there's a fair number of them who think at this point that's the only proper thing to do. This all feels like a cautionary tale about the way partisan government works right now. Everything here was done with an eye towards ramming something through with with just enough votes from one party or undermining the other side. That's true of the way the Affordable Care Act was, was pursued back in 2010 by Democrats, and it's how Republicans have tried to cripple it with this lawsuit and since then with votes to repeal it. It doesn't seem like a good portrait of how laws are made. Yeah, I think that you have actually identified a big part of the problem with both sides here. You know, the Democrats had no Republican support for this. When they needed to make some fixes, they couldn't do it. Typically, massive pieces of legislation like this, they get fixed every year. You know, there's quite a few people in Washington have told me and would tell you the only way to do these big bills is to do it on a bipartisan basis when there's buy-in from both sides. Otherwise, it's always going to collapse when the other uh, side gets power. Thank you, Carl. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. We'll be right back. I'm Zakia Watley, and I'm excited to announce the return of Breakthrough, a podcast from Boston Children's. This season, I'll talk to more doctors and researchers bringing pediatric medicine into the future. Our success currently in understanding genetics of epilepsy has been really groundbreaking in the last decade. There's a whole effort to develop better local anesthetics that could, from a single injection, provide pain relief that lasts much longer. Listen to Breakthrough on all listening platforms and give us a follow so you don't miss an episode. I use the New York Times Games app every single day. I love playing Connections. With Connections, I need to twist my brain to see the different categories. I think I know this connection. Look, Bath is a city in England, Sandwich is a city in England, Reading is a city in England, and I'm going to guess Derby is a city in England. I started Wordle 194 days ago, and I haven't missed a day. The New York Times Games app has all the games right there. I absolutely love Spelling Bee. I always have to get genius. I've seen you yell at it and say, that (laughs) should be a word. Totally should be a word. Sudoku is kind of my version of lifting heavy weights at the gym. At this point, I'm probably more consistent with doing the crossword than brushing my teeth. When I can finish a hard puzzle without pins, I feel like the smartest person in the world. When I have to look up a clue to help me, I'm learning something new. It gives me joy every single day. Start playing in the New York Times Games app. You can download it at nytimes.com slash games app. Mm-hmm. 
here's what else you need to know today. Thank you very much. It's great to be here today to unveil legislation that would represent the most significant reform to our immigration system in a half a century. President Trump is endorsing a plan to cut legal immigration into the U.S. by half over the next decade, saying the current system allows too many low-skilled workers into the country. And it has not been fair to our people, to our citizens, to our workers. Trump is backing a bill that prioritizes immigrants with higher education levels and job skills instead of those who have relatives already in the U.S. This competitive application process will favor applicants who can speak English, financially support themselves and their families, and demonstrate skills that will contribute to our economy. And this morning, the president signed uh, the Countering America's Adversaries Through Sanctions Act. After weeks of resistance, President Trump has signed a bill imposing new sanctions against Russia as punishment for its interference in the 2016 election. The bill, which also limits the president's own power to lift those sanctions, was originally opposed by the White House. But The Times reports that Congress passed the bill with such overwhelming support that the president was essentially forced to sign it. The bill was improved, but Congress has encroached on the power of the presidency, and he signed it in the interest of national unity. That's it for The Daily. I'm Michael Barbar. See you tomorrow. This episode is supported by Boston Children's. Listen to the new podcast, Breakthrough, by Boston Children's, wherever you get your podcasts.